now it's time for Rod and Real Radio with your hosts, Hop Along John Cassidy, fresh and saltwater expert angler Stan Vanderberg, and all-around outdoors fishing and hunting enthusiast Wendy Toshihara. If you love the outdoors, enjoy salt or freshwater fishing, this is the show for you. We'll cover most all of the fishing tournaments and events with special reports while providing you with the information you need as to how and where to experience the best fishing opportunities in Southern California, Baja, Alaska, or just about anywhere the fish are biting. Rod and Real Radio brought to you by El Cajon Ford at Broadway and Main or online at ElCajonFord.com. Whether it's time for a new or used car or truck or you need to take advantage of San Diego's best quick lane for service with genuine Ford parts, brand name tires at competitive prices, remember nobody beats El Cajon Ford. We have some fantastic guests and reports lined up for you this evening, so sit back, relax, and get ready for the fastest two hours in radio. It's all right here, right now, on Rod and Real Radio, the best stop on your radio. Radio dial for all the information you need for fishing opportunities all over the United States. Now here's your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Well, Mark Larson, thank you for that introduction in Southern California. Welcome to the Thanksgiving holiday edition of Rod and Reel Radio. I am indeed your underfished host, Hop Along, John Cassidy, and it is a pleasure to greet you all tonight. Whether you're stuck in traffic trying to get home or if you're sitting in the comfort of your own living room, maybe working out in the workshop, getting your fishing tackled together, thanks for being with us, and we all wish that you had yourself a great holiday. Hey, we have a great show lined up for you tonight. Let me give you a little bit of idea of who's scheduled. Coming right out of the gate, we're going to have to have Dr. Larry Allen with us. Dr. Allen is the director of Near Shore Marine Fisheries uh, here in uh, Southern California. He's also chair and professor of biology at Cal State North Northridge. We're going to talk a little bit about our inshore fisheries, population of maybe calicos, white sea bass, black sea bass. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about, hey, how, what's happening with the bait, and maybe he'll give us an idea. Are some of these fish that we're seeing here, the bluefin, the yellowfin, cyclical they're going to be staying around for a little while i think dr allen will have a lot to contribute tonight we look forward to speaking to him and then later on private angler billy kelman's going to be with us billy's been with us a few times in the past month he has been going out as a private angler and he has been doing a job on the bluefin tuna that are off our coast we'll get an idea of what billy's been doing what the transition might be if these bluefin he believes are sticking around, did he get them this weekend? We'll find out. We'll answer that, and then you're going to be able to hear Billy live coming up next week. We're going to talk about that, too, when Billy will be conducting a seminar for the CCA. And then later on in the show, Captain James Nelson will be with us with the inshore report. But before we get this all going, let me introduce to you the co-host of Rod and Reel Radio. First of all, this individual is the voice of one 800 bass boat and a pretty darn good freshwater and saltwater angler in his own right, Mr. Stan Vandenberg. Stan, good holiday to you, sir. How you doing? Good, good holiday back to you guys. And I've had the pleasure of having my three grandsons and my daughter and, and son-in-law come and visit, and naturally they brought with them something special. And uh, I've got part of a voice because of it. So, <laughs> along with turkey, I got a gift. Oh, Stan, I hope that's just from a bug that you had, 
and not uh, trying to corral those little ones that we heard last week on the radio or on the phone when uh, uh, I was talking to you. So, uh, you know, use your voice judiciously, and uh, I appreciate you making the effort to be with us. Well, I figure I got at least an hour before it gives out, and then uh, we'll see what happens from there. <laughs> All right. Hey, let me introduce to you the other co-host of Ron Real Radio. She is the national sales manager for Iserline and an outstanding outdoorsman, both fishing and hunting in her own right, Miss Wendy Toshihara. Wendy, howdy. Howdy. How are you guys? Happy belated Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. Well, same with you, Wendy. Now, Wendy, did you have a traditional turkey, or did you have uh, something that you actually went out and forged yourself? Uh, usually for Thanksgiving, we have the traditional turkey and stuffing and all that, and then Christmas Eve and Christmas, it's bluefin tuna, <laughs> whatever, elk or venison, it's, it's, it's all uh, good stuff. Oh, man. Well, guys, I hope you had a great holiday. It's, we did all with the family and, uh, you know, looking forward. The, the days before Christmas now are just going to go by really, really quickly. So let's get on with the show, though, huh? I, I want to introduce to you our first guest. Uh, man, I've been looking forward to talking to him for months to hear some of the latest of the work that he's been doing on and the counts he's been doing and what's happening with these fisheries. Let me do everyone introduce everyone to Dr. Larry Allen. Dr. Allen, welcome to Ron Real Radio, sir. Well, uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> we appreciate it. Dr. Allen, I just kind of went over your titles, and I probably screwed them up a little bit, but... For those people that aren't familiar with you, can can you tell us a little bit about your background and and some of the the work that you're currently doing right now? Oh well, sure. Um, I'm uh, a lifelong fisherman. I uh, was thinking about this earlier today. I've been fishing since well, for about sixty years <laughs> uh, right. out off the coast, mainly well, mainly mer- uh, in the ocean, but uh, I also do freshwater. So I've been fishing a long time. I was a fisherman long before I was a fish scientist. Uh, but I've been at Cal State Northridge for 35 years now. And uh, my research program has, for many, many years, been focused on the, the recreational species that we all love to catch, uh, the calico bass. I have to go between the scientific and the, and the lay terms on these calicos, sand bass, spotties white sea bass, uh, we've done work on yellowtail, and uh, you, and most recently we're working on the, the giant sea bass, or what most people call the black sea bass, that are now returning to our waters. Wow. Now, uh, you know, tell me, in this day when it's so hard to get funding for anything, tell us uh, a little bit how the projects that you're working on are funded. Well, uh, for many years... Uh, uh, I've been funded by U.S. Fish and Wildlife, National Marine Fisheries Service, but the main part of the funding to do this work was coming from Cal Fish and Game, or now Cal Fish and Wildlife. Uh, but in recent years, that money has dried up, and most of the work is of my students and I have been uh, doing uh, is uh, based on, I mean, the, the mo- but, I'm sorry, the funding is coming from Bar Hall and the, the Fred Hall Tackle Shows. I've had the large saltwater aquarium that Bart and I partnered up uh, 25 years ago. And 
So a large part of the funding to do this research on the on the sport fishes has been coming from the tackle industry, basically. So, uh, you know, when you talk about the ability to go out and do what you, you love, which is to find out what's happening with these species, you're actually funded by the people who are going out and, and catching them and trying to preserve them themselves as sportsmen, much rather than if we want to call them maybe the environmentalist. Or is there a combination of money that, that keeps you going from both sides of the aisle? Well, I, I think it's kind of both. I mean, the, the university funds me at some level, uh, not a great level, but yeah, most of the last five or six years, it's largely been from uh, the tackle industry uh, and BART's association with the American Sports Fishing Association uh, that has been funding. It's uh, basically we use that saltwater tank at those shows as a fundraiser uh, and have a sponsorship pretty much every year. Most recently, it's been accurate reels. You know. If you if if you like put it in terms of a bell curve or whatever it is you've been uh, in this field for thirty five years you've been fishing a lot longer than that how yeah. is the state of the fishery uh, in our Southern California coastline how how has it gone from you know the nineteen nineties to to the way that uh, we are seeing it presently well I think if you go back further it uh, it's much better than than the 80s the 90s uh, we've you know we've shown through our studies that uh, many uh, stocks have returned the white sea bass stocks have returned uh, I think a, the gillnet ban in 1994 uh, had a great deal to do with that many of the sharks are returning uh, there's a lot of maybe great whites being sighted sure. uh, that are no longer being killed as bycatch in the gillnet fisheries uh, of the past. Uh, one of the things that's happened is that the giant sea bass or the black sea bass uh, have been coming back as well. Uh, the recent, uh, our studies on the basses, the calico and sand bass, and uh, mainly have you know led to some, uh, the regulation changes uh of a few years ago that uh, re- decreased the the bag limit and the increased the size of uh, that you could take and it was unpopular at some in some quarters but I think it's now proven uh, to to have been a great boon to to the bass fishing as well the average size fish is two inches bigger than it used to be uh, there's uh, a much more sustainable take of those basses now in our local waters. So I think that is, a, is an example of positive uh, fisheries management that has occurred over the last, uh, well, 10 years that, that has, has uh, brought these stocks back to, to where you can notice them, you can go out and catch them now. Uh, there was a long time in my life where you couldn't catch a white sea bass. Uh, and uh, I've caught many, many of them in the last decade. So, uh, and the giants are returning as well. So, I, I think, Mary, uh, and yes. Um, so with the with the black sea bass, you know, when I'm out there and I'm fishing, we're seeing a lot of black sea bass. And Merritt and Connor and Caitlin, they're out there studying, you know, the uh, taking photos of the black sea bass too. And you know, we're catching now eighty pounders to two hundred and fifty pounders when we're out um, uh, fishing now, and do you think at some point 
there might be a reopening and, and we might have a fishery, a sport fishing uh, fishery for black sea bass again? Well, that's a possibility. I would caution a, a, about getting too, uh, doing it too fast. It's basically my caution is because of the, the life history of, of these giants. You know, they don't mature until they're teenagers, and they live to overwhelm them. The oldest one we have aged was 76. Mm. Uh, but they do get in excess of you know, 600 pounds, and they yeah. live a long time. So it Larry, it's going to take, lo- take a long time to recover. Having said that, I think the possibility of, uh, of a tag-type fishery where you buy a special permit, that one may not be too far in the future, where you can pay a certain amount of money that would go to conservation to say fish and wildlife, and go out and be able to take one a year, something like that. I do caution because they are also because they are apex predators. There's never going to be a whole lot of them. And uh, this summer, I went out and tried to catch them. I did. We wound up with three alive in captivity now, and we're they actually make sounds and they talk to each other. So that's what we're studying with the live ones, but. We, uh, we went out seven or eight days. We wound up uh, with a lot of fishermen involved, a lot of my friends and maybe some of the people that are listening. Uh, we hooked about 25 to 30 of them, and we caught five. You know, so, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a mighty fish, and they're, they're hard to land, relatively easy to hook because they, they do, you know, inhale your bait and take off. But we were having... Uh, a usual occurrence of breaking off 100-pound tests and you know, getting lost in the kelp and things like that. So I, I do think, uh, as Merritt McRae has, has said, there, there's a possibility that there could be a limited, very limited take fishery in the future. But, you know, if you've got a kelp bed that's, say, off of Dana Point, you may have 12 giants in it, you know, and it wouldn't take very long to fish all of those out if, Right. have some control over it. So, Larry, how, so how, think, big, how, how big does that fish grow in a given year? I mean, a 20-pound fish is how old, for instance? A 20-pound fish is probably four or five years old. Well, it grows uh, fairly they, rapid then. Well, they, yeah, they grow rapidly, but it levels off very quickly. Uh, they don't mature till they're... Uh, well, we think it's one of the things we don't know about them for sure. That 11 to 14 years old before they mature. Uh, at the the hundred pounders that I caught, we were able to capture this year and take in captivity. Are probably about 20 year olds. You know, so uh, most of the fish out there are around 100 pounds right now, and that's that's about well. 20 to 23 years since the gillnet closure. So uh, there's a large group of, of that size class out there. Uh, Dr. Allen, and yeah. yeah, you talked about, you may, you talked a term uh, that maybe some of our people aren't familiar with. You called the black sea bass an apex predator. What, what did you mean by that? Well, that means it's at the top of the food chain, top of the food pyramid, uh, for kelp bed and rocky reef areas, uh, they are right at the top. They pretty much eat everything below them in the in the kelp bed, rock, or even fire environment down to about oh two hundred feet. We think they spend their winters probably about that deep. So uh, they are like a, a great white 
shark is an apex predator in the open ocean. Okay. So uh, it's it's the top top carnivore. There's uh, one of the things that's clear about grizzly bears and lions is that there's usually not very many of them because it takes a lot of food in the pyramid beneath them to support a small number of them. So, uh, you know, the giants or the black sea bass were fished out in 1934. They were basically gone from our uh, coast for, well, almost 80 years. So now they're coming back. They're reestablishing their place in the food chains of these areas. And we don't know how many they could actually uh, be supported you know, along our coast, maybe thousands, ten, ten thousands. We don't really know that number. But we do know that those fish that are around now, we've done genetic studies on them, uh, and they're, there's not, they're very bottlenecked genetically. They're all very closely related, unfortunately. So that's another problem that you face uh, going forward in the sustainability of the populations. They're, they're all basically cousins maybe okay. distant cousins but they're hey, all dr cousins. allen we've we've got to yeah. take a break right now uh can we talk you into staying on longer because we've just started scratching oh, sure. the surface sure sure hey, I'll this is rod real radio on am 540 or at com. stay tuned stan windy and myself will be back with dr larry allen after these messages <laughs> You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect, finally a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at El Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel specially heat treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now i got a garage full of fishing tackle and every time i get out on the water i realize i forgot something important but i never forget my life jacket i make sure my buddies wear theirs too save the ones you love a message from california state parks division of boating and waterways Angler's Arsenal is the serious angler's first choice for hand-poured plastics, McCoy line, Spro products, Gamakatsu hooks, G. Loomis fishing rods, Shimano products, Ovet reels, and just about anything you hear advertised on Rod and Reel Radio. Go to anglersarsenal.com and visit our online tackle store. See the huge selection of Western Plastics hand-poured baits, all at anglersarsenal.com. Angler's Arsenal tackle store is conveniently located in La Mesa, just off Interstate 8. Give us a call at 1-800-428-8730. 
2015 and 16 Quantum Fishing's gone and done it again for you with the brand new redesigned Smoke PT Reel Series. Everything from your spinning reels all the way to your bait casters, the PTA design has the new PTXA frame, lighter, stronger, bone crushing drag, Quantum Fishing. We are performance tuned. Check them out at Angler's Arsenal in La Mesa or anglersarsenal.com or give us a call at 619-466-8355. It's a big deal, you know. I've always wanted to be on Rod and Reel Radio. I, <laughs> I won the Bassmaster Classic. I did a, a McDonald's commercial, but now I know I've made it. I fulfilled my dream. <laughs> that is just absolutely awesome. Hey, Stan, Wendy, and I, we want to welcome you back to Rod and Reel Radio. We've got a special guest tonight, Dr. Larry Allen. He's the director of the uh, Nearshore Marine Fisheries Program, and we're talking uh, a little bit about uh, black sea bass. Uh, Dr. Allen, is is the area that the black sea bass lives in so small also you know, make it subject to possibly being wiped out? I mean, what what's its territorial range uh, north and south of our waters here? Well, I think it's basically a fish that occupies the our northern Channel Islands, maybe up to Santa Barbara south, all the way down Baja and around the tip of Baja and up into the Gulf of California. So it has quite an extensive uh, geographical range, but it really exists most of the time between, say, 50 feet and 200 feet. Uh Usually around rocky reefs and and kelp forests, although they do cross over sand. Obviously, uh, one of the uh, fish that I was able to to dissect actually had two shovel nose guitar fish in its bellies, which yeah. I'm sure it got along a sandy beach somewhere. So they move around a lot, and one of the things that we are studying is their movements. My colleague and friend uh, Chris Lowe in the Shark Lab at Cal State Long Beach. Uh, has a student that is actually putting acoustic tags in these fish, and they're able to, with these receivers set all around, they're able to track track their movements, which is going to teach us a lot about how far they go. Our genetic studies show that they're all pretty much related, and there must be a lot of movement. Are they, are, are they related to, like, the broom tails, or do they interact with any other fish, or... Are are they pretty? Are they pretty much uh, hang out and mate with just other black sea bass? Well, just other black sea bass. Actually, what we've found in recent years is that the giant sea bass or the black sea bass. I keep going back and forth. Their official scientific name is is the giant sea bass. Uh, so excuse me if I if I keep okay. going back and forth. Uh, they uh, are actually not closely related to groupers and broomtails and things at all. They're actually uh, more closely related to wreckfish uh, on the East Coast. And uh, around New Zealand, Australia, there's a fish called the hapuku. And they're actually a small small family of fishes that are fairly distantly related to groupers. Now, they do, uh, you know, obviously swim around in areas with these, with these groupers, uh, and off of Bob Riojos, for instance, down south, there's a place where they, all three of them gather uh, fairly close to one another to breed, uh, but 
typically uh, in the northern or cooler waters. They're they're by themselves and they do aggregate to spawn, and that is when they are most vulnerable to overfishing. Uh, we think we're pretty sure about that. Well, you know, I, we've caught on the long range boats. We catch them. I you said Abreojos. That's a phenomenal fisheries area down there in itself. But if you go out, right. Guadalupe. Guadalupe has a, a, had a population of that black sea bass for the giants, um, but we never saw them down in, uh, uh, at least b- very rarely, and you don't see them anymore down at, like, Alejos Rocks or anywhere below that. It seems that you get more into the broomtails and the tan groupers and everything else when you get further down. What, what's the bottom end of their environment, would you say? Well, I, I think probably to find them in shallow water, it's about mid-Baja on both sides. Mm-hmm. But I think they're able to go deeper into deeper water and go around. It's pretty clear that they're replaced by the larger groupers, the Gulf groupers and the, the broomtails uh, off our coast. Uh, but as the water, surface waters get warmer, they tend to go deeper. Mm. So it's, a, uh, it's, it's a pretty normal thing for kind of cool water fishes to do as they move south they move into deeper water. Now, Dr. Allen, sometimes we can find black sea bass in our local uh, fish markets, and uh, commercially there there is a particular parameter uh, of sea bass that can be taken commercially while you can't do recreationally. Is, is that true? Yes. Uh, since 1982, uh, the regulations have been no recreational take uh, with either rod and reel or spear. So they're completely protected now, but commercial fishermen can take, it's now one fish per uh, trip, commercial trip. In the old days, a lot of those trips were out of San Diego and San Pedro down into Mexico. So they were, uh, you know, early on, a trip could be two weeks. And so when they, when they formed those, that, those regulations, they were counting on maybe one fish being landed every once in a while in California. We were banned, our commercial fishing was banned in Mexico 1982. So what's happening now is that the few fish, it's around 100 a year uh, based on some information that's been gathered that are landed or at least brought into California and sold uh, in fish markets. So they are under... uh, limited take commercially uh, i personally think that's a loophole that should be closed and uh, because there are just aren't that many of them our genetic studies again show that uh, there may only be 500 uh, breeding females based on these calculations that can be done from their genetics so that's not very many over uh, basically a 1500 mile well, a stretch of ocean. So, Doctor Allen, let's move on to a, another species that we like out here, and that's sure. the uh, uh, the white sea bass. And uh, was the white sea bass population, you know, so low there for a while because they're easy to catch? Was it a cyclical thing? Was there so many people going after them? Uh, what, what happened uh, with that population uh, of sea bass before we started getting into? some of the programs we're, we'll be talking about here in a little bit. Yeah, well, we, uh, in the 50s, uh, 
they, the commercial uh, industry, the commercial gill netters, basically fished them out. 57 and 58, the, uh, the work that was being done by Fish and Game at that time estimated that between 80 and 85% of the adults were being taken in those two years. Uh, they were taken in the, you know, basically in June, July, August when they were spawning and they were setting nets right in their breeding aggregations. So similar to what we did to the giants by gill netting and fishing their spawning aggregations, uh, they pretty much wiped them out. And as I said earlier, I didn't catch a white sea bass until I was, I don't know, 40, I don't know, 35, something like that. Uh, but they, they've started to come back uh, because of regulations. Uh, they closed the, the, the fishery on them. Uh, and certainly the 1994 uh, gill net closure helped that out as well because those breeding aggregations of white sea bass, which are large croakers, by the way, <laughs> um, that gillnet regulation three miles offshore has, has protected many of those populations. Uh, plus, uh, a lot of the younger fish aren't being caught as bycatch either. So I think that has turned around. You know, we have the hatchery program, which has added some individuals, and they are, they're pretty much back now with the fishery and uh, they are being caught regularly and that's uh, ironically that's the fishery that takes the giants as well uh, because they're fished in largely the same areas offshore mm. so uh, with tell us a little bit about the hatchery program uh, how it came about and and do you believe that it has been really effective uh, has it been a contributor or again, is one of the biggest factors that they're not being gill-netted and commercially fished like they used to? Well, I think that's the biggest factor, although, you know, the hatchery program, which started back in the 80s, I've been associated on and off with it. We did the evaluation of the, uh, of the hatchery fish and how many there were out there, along with Mike Shane and, uh, and the group from Hub SeaWorld. We we were doing that work for 15 years, and uh, what it showed us is that as the fish were recovering, the 96-97 El Nino period, warm water period, was really big for, for white sea bass. They really came back in a hurry. Uh, lots, of, lots of juveniles uh, survived the first year during that year, and that's basically that. those strong year classes between... 1996 and 2005 are what we're fishing now. Uh, the average age fish taken in the recreational fishery is about eight or nine years old. The commercial fishery, they're much, they're older, 12 to 14 to 15 years. So we see a, a delay in how how successful the white sea bass were uh, in uh, in spawning in particular years and the catches we have for them seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 years later. So uh, they are, they're back. We have to, we have to be careful to do it sustainably. And, you know, the, the one and two fish limits they have, I think, are a good idea. And uh, how, how's that spawn be been for, since then, you know, the, let's say 2096, 97 was good, were good years for the El Nino. We've had other years that have been pretty decent along our shoreline, obviously, here in the last few how about right. that sea bass now? Is it is the spawning 
is as good as it was back then then? Well, I, I, I think it varies greatly from year to year, uh, and the survival of the babies uh, varies greatly from year to year. This is where the hatchery can make up for bad natural years. You know, if they put uh, 10,000, 100,000 babies out there, uh, it will help, you know, uh, dampen the, the depressions that, that you can see in the natural stocks. But the, the fish are big. The, large, the world record was... Uh, was speared about five years ago, and yeah. uh, they're up up around ninety pounds now. Uh, it looks like a fairly strong uh, breeding uh, or brood stock out in the out in the wild right now. So, as long as we catch them uh, sustainably and uh, and keep an eye on them, I think they should be around for for a while. The other thing that's helped is the the great, as you mentioned, the great El Nino tuna years we've been having uh, in the last two decades. And uh, when when the when the emphasis goes offshore and and does that, it obviously takes the pressure off the nearshore fisheries. Doctor Allen, you happen to mention though that there is still the commercial uh, capturing of of white sea bass, and how does that differ now than uh, let's say uh, twenty years ago? Well, 20 years ago, there uh, the fishery had just basically gone away, I and mean, there weren't very many boats that were actually going out for them. After the closure, uh, more uh, fewer of them went out. Uh, but the fleet is building again, and there was at one time maybe 50, 60 boats in California catching white sea bass, and probably 10 of them were doing most of it. Uh, there's more, more and more boats out there doing it, uh, and so you have to avoid the situation where everybody jumps on board and goes out and catches too many of them because that's what leads to the overfishing situations we we have seen in the past. So is so that a long line uh, method uh, or or what? No, those are offshore gill nets for the most okay. part for white sea bass. Those are flo- floating and anchored gill nets. Out we hope they're 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 out. Uh, obeying the laws uh, out three miles three miles off the coast and one mile off the island so uh, but you know their their catch per year has been fairly steady and fairly high and and it increased every year for oh most of the 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 2000s and it's maybe starting to level off now hey dr allen we have to take another break uh, can i get you to stay on for one more segment and and talk about sure. this because I got to tell you, I find a lot of this stuff interesting, and I'm learning a lot of stuff I really didn't know. So I Me hope you do. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. hey, we're speaking I, with Dr. Uh, Larry Allen from the uh, Nearshore Marine uh, Fisheries Program. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, Dan, Wendy, and I will be back with more Ron Real Radio after this break. Are you ready to sell your current boat and upgrade in preparation for the 2017 fishing season? It's sure to be one for the bucks. I'm Zach Zorn and a broker for Kessler Yachts located in San Diego. As one of the largest and most reputable brokerages on the West Coast, I can ensure that your boat will be sold in a timely manner or that your dream boat will be found. If you want to sell your boat or looking to purchase one, call Zach Zorn at Kessler Yachts, 760-815-8866 so that your name can be added to our long list of satisfied buyers and sellers. 
That's Zach Zorn, 760-815-8866. If you're serious about your fishing, choosing the right tackle is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. Iserline makes premium fishing lines including monofilament, Dacron, Spectra, fluorocarbon, battle-tested harnesses, and top-angler-tested Iserline tools and accessories. Iserline premium fishing products are created to provide you with the ultimate in strength, dependability, durability, high abrasion resistance, low stretch, and high quality. All Iserline products are 100% guaranteed against manufacturing defects. You just can't buy better value. Iserline will replace or repair at their option. No questions asked if you're not pleased with any of their products. Catch what you've been missing. Quality guaranteed. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. The warm weather is here and our lakes and rivers are brimming. Just remember, if you love California and you love to boat, please wear your life jacket. And make sure everyone with you puts one on, too. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. This portion of Rod and Reel Radio is brought to you by the Rockley's Fish Release System. Now you can quickly and easily release fish suffering from barotrauma back to the depths they were caught. Look or ask for the Rockley's at your local fishing tackle dealer. Dan, Wendy, and I, we want to welcome you back to Ron Real Radio. Dr. Larry Allen is with us. We've been talking a little bit in this past hour for uh, white sea bass, black sea bass, uh, just kind of scratching the surface on it, but we're going to move on. And, and Dr. Allen, I know uh, another one of your uh, favorite fish and recipient of your special care is the calico bass. And, uh, again, uh, go over a little bit about the... The history of catching calico bass uh, up and down our coast for the past few years, and and what it's like today. Uh, well, uh, I got uh, I kind of got into calico bass uh, uh, because we were we were out. I was funded by Fish and Game many years ago, and it was one of the fish that we hadn't learned a lot about uh, since the fifties and sixties. So. We, uh, we started going out catching them, working on their genetics and a variety of other things. Uh, and I remember at one time, uh, this is for Wendy, uh, Russ Iser was, was into sand bass, and he called me, and he wanted, he wanted Milton Love and I to look into the, uh, the catches of, of calico bass or kelp bass uh, between the 70s and 80s and 90s because he he was convinced that they were basically decreasing uh, in abundance uh, from his time out on the water all those all those years. And we went and looked at the data, and it was it was sketchy at best. And there was only for uh, three three year windows from the seventies, eighties, and, and early nineties. And we concluded that they were all about the same catch rates during that whole time. Uh, and uh, it turns out that. Uh, Russ didn't believe us, and and Russ was right because <laughs> when we went and looked further at the data uh, that was collected, uh, as strangely enough, the L.A. Times fish reports, which went all the way back to 1958, 
Uh, we've all looked at those in the past, right? Uh, every morning I would look and see what you know, all the landings up right. and down would send in their catches. And that, so was, they, that was part they, of growing up, actually. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, that's how you knew what to go and catch and stuff. Yep. And uh, they... Uh, they digitized some people from uh, National Marine Fisheries Service digitized all that data, and we, uh, my stu- a few students of mine and I, now they're actually colleagues that have gone on to be fisheries biologists, analyzed that data, and we found just, uh, that that the catch was about ten per- less than ten percent of what it had been in the '60s and '70s for for calicos, and the size average size was going down. So. That's the fuel that led us uh, to to propose, and Fish and Game jumped on board to propose some changes in the regulations because they hadn't been changed since 1952, I think. So uh, that now, uh, you know, it was uh, basically tightening your belt. The fishermen have to go out, and it, it's obviously, particularly for uh, the, the, the half-day boats and things like that, very, you know, those are very important resources for them, the, the basses. Uh, at the same time, the, the sand bass, particularly off of Huntington Flats, they had crashed, and so this was all tied up in this study we did, and it, it wound up with these new regulations, taking five instead of ten a day uh, and a 14-inch uh, total length uh, size limit. The idea was that we'd give the fish another two years to, to breed. Uh, calico bass, sand bass, they matured about four or five years old as opposed to the giants, which I had mentioned were teenagers. Uh, so, Larry, how big is a four or five-year-old sand bass or calico bass? Uh, uh, 10 to 12 inches. <laughs> so they're really so, a slow-growing fish. Uh, they're yeah, they're slow going, and there was the old adage, uh, "slow to grow, so let them go." The, the catch and release fishermen, that was a wise decision. Uh, but now, what's happened is that uh, these regulations, I, I, we're pretty sure we've got data, has led to uh, more fish, uh, larger fish, <laughs> and uh, and it's worked. You know that kind of a regulatory mechanism has worked very well. At the same time, the MPAs were put in. I don't think they've had anything to do with this, mm-hmm. uh, with this recovery. I think passes. the MPAs are too new, aren't they? The only thing that would help, I think, the um, in the MPAs is all those lobsters that are in the MPAs and, and then those black sea bass going in there and plucking off all those lobsters. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell me the lobster too, Wendy. <laughs> yeah, they do, but I think in the last 10 years you've seen a huge push, especially from the guys that are fishing uh, the calico bass. And, I mean, I I'm, I insure all of the bass circuits up and down the, the coastline. They go out the sand bass and, and calico bass fishery out there. But the catch and release has really become the thing, rather than keep that calico bass, is to let them go. And they push that even on the on the party boats. Um, that's become more of the the norm rather than keep that calico to put them back in. And I think that's really been a, a factor over the last several years for sure. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. And, you know, my my premise was that I would rather have uh, five nice 14- or 15-inch calicos to take home to eat than ten smaller ones, you know, that, that would wind up probably... 
staying in the freezer too long and being buried in the backyard. But uh, I think all these things help with the sustainability. If there's one word that I repeat over and over again about our nearshore fisheries, is that we need to fish them sustainably so that they will be here in the future. And we have to get out of the mindset to go on catch as many as we can, you know, which is... Well, hopefully one of these days, Larry, we'll be able to have artificial reefs, not just in as a mitigation project or restoration, um, but uh, to have new artificial reefs um, because, uh, you know, there's a lot of sand out there, a lot of bare, bare spots. Precisely. Yeah, and I, I, I am a big believer in artificial... Uh, reefs, they've got the big one that's now called the Wheeler North Reef down there right. off of San Clemente, and it's huge, and uh, I have colleagues, and I've been down there sampling and catching fish uh, for well, science. It's, and It's huge, and it's, it's a great reef to fish, but in order for them to reach their, their biomass in their 30 years, don't they need a higher relief instead of going out broader or further, wider? Well, yeah, the, the bigger you get them and the more relief you have probably the better off it is but uh, as long as they they hold kelp beds that gives you the relief necessary for for the oh, basses okay. uh, particularly calicos to recruit they they like to recruit to kelp sand bass recruit to the rocks so that doesn't really matter but the, the production of those reefs has gone way up and uh, it's it, basically as you said most of southern california coastline uh, exclusive of the islands is sand, so it's like ninety percent sand. So right. the more rocks and things you put out there, the more reefs you put out, uh, you the more production of the sport fishes you're going to have. Yeah, yeah, there's areas that are miles and miles and miles of nothing that could use reef that the artificial reefs in and create new environment for our fisheries that would help uh, sustain a lot of different life out there. Yeah, there's there's lots of larvae and juvenile fish that just never find a place to settle before they're eaten. So I think overall that's going to help. There has been a uh, an argument for years about whether they're just simply attracting fish or whether they're producing new fish, and I think the data shows that they're doing both. <laughs> and uh, the more you the more reefs you have, the more um, more fish are going to have the, that is more of the of the juvenile or baby fish will survive all of these fish that we've been talking about have larval development in the plankton i mean they they don't they don't come out as little giant sea bass they come out as larval things and they and they go into the water column it can be spread for miles and miles and very often they, their survivorship depends on whether they settle out where there is suitable uh, reef habitat. Well, with this, the fishery that we have here, I mean, a lot of that depends on El Nino or, or the La Nina. We grow in kelp or is there no kelp. And then the, the fish itself has to eat, and, and they go where the feed is or where food is, and they move in areas. A lot of, I think, of our science has been done or whatever the reports had been done uh, that were reported, reported said that that fish was in dire straits when it just wasn't in the area uh, where they moved for feed or they moved for breeding or whatever else. So the, that, I think the, we're seeing a lot better 
knowledge coming towards us now. I think that you're you're a lot of the help right there with the people that you work with to get the information out to the public that we actually need to help sustain the fishery. Well, yeah, I, I agree, and uh, I, I think there's been, uh, well, there have been local areas of depletion, but I think some of those areas have been addressed now, and uh, yeah, I started writing for Western Outdoor News in the early 90s just, just for that reason, to get, you know, valid scientific information out to to my fellow uh, sport fishermen and, and women, so uh, that's why I'm here. That's why I called in tonight. So uh, I'm happy to any answer any questions that people have. Uh, but you know, I don't know some things, but I do. I have accumulated a, a, quite a bit of knowledge about this this uh, resource in the last 35 years. Doctor Allen, do you, uh, uh, on a whole, now when looking at today and going into the future, is the resource? Is it on an incline? Is it on a decline? Is it fragile enough that if we get another uh, bad El Nino come along or if the La Nina stays too long that, you know, everything that is built can collapse? What, what, what is your view of the future? Well, I, I have a pretty, pretty optimistic view of the future now that people are aware of what's going on and, and that these are, uh, you know, resources that need to be managed and uh, and managed for sustainability and I think we're moving in that in that direction uh, so I, I foresee uh, you know the, the more fish we have the less uh, they're going to be susceptible to like uh, big El Ninos and La Ninas the, the problem with El Ninos or nearshore fisheries Fisheries is that the food goes away, basically. Yeah, the food and the kelp go away. Well, yeah, the kelp, the kelp recover. That productivity goes away. The the, the zooplankton, phytoplankton, zooplankton are are depressed too. Uh, but the but then again, that's when the yellowfin tuna show up. So so in terms of a fishery, you can you you can uh, move it offshore, which is what normally happens, and then uh, you're not hitting the nearshore areas quite as badly. Actually, El Ninos are, uh, are times of starvation for many species. That's why it was surprising to us that the white sea bass did so well during that time, because it's usually a time when the, the juvenile stages of fishes don't do very well. La Ninas are really good because there's a lot of productivity, a lot of upwelling, a lot of nutrients. Uh, and what, what that does for Southern California is that the rock fishes move in. Uh, and established so and that you get kelp uh, growth too and that gives a place everybody a place to live and hide and the small right, right. And, smaller fish yeah, a place I, to grow right i try to remind people that i fish with all the time it's uh, even if the el nino is here and the water is 74 degrees at the surface it's not very far down before you find 62 degree water mm-hmm. so so fishes can go deeper you know, uh, and then it's a matter of do they get enough to eat to make it over the over the uh, the low food period. Well, Doctor Allen, I can't thank you enough for spending uh, some time with us tonight. And uh, there's a heck of a lot more things that we need to ask you. And and I'm wondering, can you take a rain check and come back again and be with us and answer some of the questions that Stan, Wendy, and I have, and and we can get further down the road on this. 
Oh, sure, sure. I'm uh, willing to willing to, to visit any time, you know. Yeah, I would love to have you back and talk a little bit about the fin, fin fish that they're catching here, why the, the blue fin, talk a little bit about the blue fin and the fin bait that's out there now and why the, the uh, uh, they started eating the bigger bait. Obviously, they ate all that small <laughs> anchovy that was yeah. out there. But just talk about the currents and some of the changes that we're seeing. Okay, well, I, I, I know something. I don't know a great deal about the offshore fisheries, but, uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. Well, and Dr. Allen, if uh, uh, one of our listeners or anyone wants to get a hold of you, if they've got a question or something like that, uh, do you have some way that people can contact you? Do you, do you uh, accept questions from the general public? Uh, uh, how's the best way to, to share information with you? Well, I, I typically uh, share information with lots of people uh, for, over email. That's usually the best way. And my email account is very straightforward. It's larry.allen at csun.edu. All right. Well, Dr. Or they Allen, can go to my, they oh, can yeah, go go to on, my website. And your website is what, sir? Well, it's, it's the uh, Cal State Northridge website, uh, NMFRP, which is the Earshore Marine Fish Research Program. All right. Hey, you know what? I, I hate to sound geeky, but, man, this is just not only interesting stuff, but at the same time it's important. And, Dr. Allen, I can't tell you how much I, I appreciate it on behalf of our audience and Stan and Wendy uh, of you coming aboard and sharing some of this with us uh, uh, I look forward to a time when we can get you again. Uh, thank you for spending some of your holiday with us. Okay, well, it's been fun. I, I enjoyed it, and I look forward to do it, uh, doing it again. All right. That's great. Thanks, thank you. Bye, Wendy. Bye. Sam. <laughs> thank you, Larry. Thank you so much for being on. Thank well. you, doc, Dr. Allen. Hey, guys, we're going to have to take the top of the hour break right now, but uh, if we can catch up with him, because, man, this guy is on the water more than three other guys that I know. Billy Kelman's going to be with us. He's a recreational angler that has been just going on out, laying it on to these bluefin tuna and also some of the elephant tuna out there. So stay tuned. We're going to catch up with Billy, find out what he's doing. And more importantly, what he's going to be doing next week for the CCA that you might be interested in. So stay tuned. There's more Ron Real Radio to come after these messages. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect. Finally, a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at El Cajon. Cajonford.com. 
He's not just my fishing buddy. After 30 years, he's a brother, and I'd sure hate to lose him. His bass boat's got nothing to do with it. So I make sure both of us wear a life jacket. Save the ones you love, even if they don't own a fancy boat. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Quantum Fishing's got something for everybody. From the smallest angler to the oldest veteran, we can get you out there fishing with the greatest reels on the market today. From the all-new for 2016 Icon PT to the Tour Mag to the brand-new redesigned Smoke Reel, we've got something for everyone in your family. Have some fun. Take a kid fishing. They're the future of our sport. Quantum, we are performance-tuned. You can get your quantum products at anglersarsenal.com or anglersarsenal in the Mesa at 619-466-8355. Attention Rod and Reel Radio listeners. Be sure to check out the Code Group mobile app. You can listen to the Rod and Reel Radio show live along with show archives without internet access. The Code Group app has all kinds of cool features for fishermen including daily Southern California saltwater reports, weather reports, episodes of Inside Sport Fishing, Marine Traffic, and much more. Get the free Code Group mobile app by texting the word REEL, R-E-E-L, to 90407, or enter the words Code Group in the App Store on your smartphone. Hi, this is BSS record holder Dean Rojas. El Cajon Ford helped me when I got started in my career, and let them help you with a new F-Series Ford truck. And remember, nobody beats El Cajon Ford. Wendy Toshihara, Stan Vandenberg, and myself, Hopalong John Cassidy, we want to welcome you back to the second hour of Rod and Real Radio. Thank you for taking a little of your holiday to spend the time with us. I think we're making it well worth your while, especially with the first guest we had. Hey, we're going to add to that, Noah, because our guest now this, uh, this hour, man, he has been going out and he is putting it to some of these bluefin tuna and a few of the yellowfin tuna that's been out there. He's been on it, I think, ever since May. He's not a charter boat guy. He's just an average, everyday recreational fisherman that has a passion for going out and catching big fish. Let's catch up to what he's been doing, Mr. Billy Kellerman. Billy, welcome to the show, sir. Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing today? <laughs> we are alive and well, and you are too. Yeah, you're you're on with Stan <laughs> good, uh, good. and Wendy. Uh, uh, thanks for being with us, uh, Billy. I guess the first question I have to ask you: uh, There was one heck of a run of bluefin tuna at about a week or so ago, and it seems like uh, on the the sixty uh, bank. Uh, oh, I think it was Wednesday or so. There was something like twenty two or twenty three boats parked out there. Maybe forty one boats. Who knows? We're we're out on the forty one. Uh, uh, but when it comes to this bluefin tuna bite, in your estimation, is the fat lady kind of oiling up her vocal cords, or do we still have a bite going on out there when this pressure goes down on trying to catch these fish? You know, um, I've been very fortunate all year. I, I, I'm, I'm very lucky to be on this show over and over again, so thank you for having me. No, thank um, you. This bite... You know, I've been fishing this stuff for maybe the last, like, week and a half, two weeks or so. Um, so it's been very, very good. The size of the fish is absolutely incredible. And, you know, it's not just the 60-mile bank. It's some of the surrounding areas. You know, I'll just leave it at that. Um, although I don't have, <laughs> Sorry. you know, that, <laughs> that, that long-term bluefin experience because this stuff is all new for us, um, from what I saw, I still think they're going to be around for a little bit in terms of the next few weeks, you know? Well, we don't want you to give away spots and everything else like that, but 
we know that I believe you're, do you still launch out of uh, uh, Dana Point, or do you trail your boat up here and, and launch uh, maybe a little closer to some of the grounds uh, here in uh, San Diego? You know, with having a 23-foot boat, it makes it really easy to launch wherever it's necessary to get the best ride. Um, so for the 60-mile stuff, I have been uh, primarily launching uh, out of San Diego. <laughs> yeah. That, that's cool. Um, and and, and just, just the fact of that, you know, I think what makes this so exciting is that any one of us, you know, I, I, I'm sure you guys know someone that has a private boat, you know, that someone in a small boat has the ability to go target 100, 200, 300 pound tuna and still be home the same night, you know, to sleep with your family or, or go to work the next day and not have to do multiple day trips for big fish. That's what makes this thing so, so exciting. All right. Billy, uh, tell us a little bit about how the fishing technique for these fish, if it has at all, evolved in the past couple of months. You know, it seemed like in the beginning we were talking about, you know, using yummy flyers, skipping them across the water, kites, balloons. And now all of a sudden with this bite that came up here about 10 days ago, even on the sports fishing boats, all of a sudden you're talking about fin baits, you're talking about yo-yo fishing, uh, you're, you know, you're, you're talking about maybe different type of fishing. And have you found that to be the case, or are you still looking for these big fish in the same way you were, uh, you know, during the middle of the summer? No, with this bluefin stuff, you always have to be on your toes. You always have to be willing to adapt to the changes around you. And right now we're experiencing, I believe, I want to say this is the second or third bite of the year that these fish have bit on bait. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I myself, I have tons of gear, tons of rods. You know, I'm sure you guys do too. But to get this specific scenario of being able to fish 80-pound, 100-pound fluorocarbon leader, you know, seven- or eight-foot rods to fish sardines and mackerel – I don't have that rod right now, you know. I mean, normally in my arsenal, I don't carry that type of rod. I don't have the luxury of going on 10-day, 15-day trips, you know, for these bigger tuna. So our gear is constantly changing. And even a lot of, you know, even with the whole yummy flyer stuff, you know, even that rod is changing in itself for, for small private boats, you know. Um, so for the last week and a half, what I've seen most is it's been a live bait bite, um, you know, fly lining, the rubber band rig where you, you rubber band on a four, six, eight-ounce sinker depending on current, wind, and stuff like that, and also the balloon and kite rig. Um, and what I mean by balloon and kite rig in this sense is that instead of, you know, flying the yummy, we're actually connecting on, you know, a sardine to a balloon or connecting it to a kite, and that bait's just kind of, you know, fluttering up on top. You know, one of the rigs we, I use is called the double trouble which is something that's very popular, you know, down south, talking about Puerto Vallarta stuff, you know. Um, and, and it's almost the same type of fishing, and it just amazes me that we get to do that right here in our backyard. Yeah. It's a huge learning curve, you know, especially for private boaters. I'm very fortunate to have a friend down south. His name's uh, Danny Gomez from uh, Damar Sport Fishing, and he's definitely been walking me through all this, you know, through, uh, through Facebook chats and uh, private text messages. So you know, watching the, the whole thing as it as it's it evolved here off our coastline has been pretty interesting. As a long range fisherman and and enjoying the the rewards of that, how to catch these big fish and changing our gear to uh, to catch that 
200 uh, and up fish as, as if you fish long range. The I mean, the first boat that real actually used the yummy flyer, I think, was the Excel uh, way back when. But that fishery, when they're hard to catch and they're eating that little tiny anchovy and the no sims as they call them out there, and getting the fish to come up and eat on that yummy, uh, even getting the right gear where you've got you know the right troll rods you can handle on a small boat where there's no gunnel. You need a shorter rod. You need to be able to put some torque into that. You got to have the right reel. You got to have the right right line, and and the Spectra helps because it doesn't. It, it's a lot lighter. It's going up to the kite and coming back down. The, everything's changed for the private boater out in Southern California. Knowing that you've got to use that seven foot plus rod um, to get it over the gunnel and get it down where it goes below your motor and around the motor. I mean, all of that comes into play with this fishery and and then like you're saying you know the hooking up your the uh on your line where you can put it against your line you can drop it down in with on a rubber band rig you can get it down there deep into the column where you're on a drift depending on on speed of your drift whether you need 12 ounces or four ounces whatever that is depending on the height because some of that area that you're fishing is shallower than others and you need a a different weight than you would all of that comes into play with this fish, and then you've got to talk about what hook you use to get that thing into that fish and stay there. Because this fish likes to come up, turn its head up toward the surface, and rattle back and forth till you hear that gill slap, or you can feel it on your line, and dislodge that hook. So the whole thing has been, for the fishery off of Southern California, a whole learning curve. Now, literally, what you just said right now, your, your quick little 25 to 30 seconds of what you just said, that can be elaborated into a multi-hour talk. I can't tell you <laughs> how many points you have nailed with those short sentences. Um, starting off with the gear, um, I think that the foundation of our fishing you know, is based off of our gear and having the right tools to land these fish. Sure, hooking them is one thing, but landing them is a whole nother, whole nother ball of wax here. And, yes, you're right. These rods are changing. We need different gear, and, and things need to change to kind of keep up. And, and to be really honest with you, I'm actually coming out with my own private label rod line pretty soon here, which caters towards the private boats, which caters more towards um, this loosened stuff that's going on here so that, you know, it, it kind of fits the bill. Um, I kind of just started talking to a few people about it, and then, lo and behold, um, I think I have this uh, – this kite rod coming out, and I have almost like 17 orders already, and it's not even, I mean, it's not even. Nice. Right. That's great. <laughs> That's great, Billy. <laughs> My so, God. So there's, there's a lot of cool things that are, that are coming out with, with some of the stuff that I've been working on. Um, I'm not sure if you heard, but I start, you know, guys wanted me to start doing seminars. I just finished up my first seminar down at uh, San Diego. They had a show there uh, a few weeks ago. Um, and then uh, I'm doing a, another one this coming up Saturday at Island Tackle. Uh, for the CCA. So, you know, I just really enjoy being able to share some of this knowledge of tactics and gear and stuff like that to, to really um, allow anglers to, to have a better chance at these fish. Well, you know, you, you've done such a good job as a, as a private angler getting out there and sharing the knowledge. I mean, let, let me ask you a question. On your rod, the, the rod you're making, uh, Billy, what, what length is that? It's going to be a seven-foot bent butt rod, and that's uh, primarily strictly for the kite, for kite fishing. Um, you know, I know there's this big argument, especially on the West Coast, about 
fighting your fish in the rod holder, and fighting your fish stand-up. And by all means, choose whichever way you want. It doesn't matter. But if you want to get multiple fish or get your fish in faster and not wear out your back, my preference is fishing that fish in the rod holder, kind of similar to that East Coast tuna show over there, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, that that's exactly correct. We got the bent rod, you can sit it in the back of the boat, <clears throat> still in the rod holder, and you can turn the handle. If you haven't got that access to your boat, you're going to need something like a smitty belt and a long enough rod to get it around your motor uh, or, or understand how to back off the drag, move it around the motor, and then, you know, if you got an outboard one way, and it's a whole different story if you got a swim step and an outboard, try to get it around that thing when that fish is moving, or you have to have a really good skipper that knows how to move the boat with you. But all of those things yeah, yeah. come into play when you're talking about landing this really big fish, and and you can go out there with a five-foot troll rod and just get in a lot of trouble with a kite, not knowing how to get that fish in. It's a, it's a whole different story out there. You sound like one of the guys I fish with on my boat regularly. You know, you're talking about all the key points of being able to have that longer rod. I mean, that's, that's actually rod number two, is the guys who don't want to fight it in the bent, but we're gonna have, I'm going to make a, a longer, heavy-duty rod, you know, almost rail rod-like, um, you know, for the private boat angler, and, and, you know, can be used on sport boats as well, but it's so key to get it around that motor. I find that getting the bite is, is a huge part, um, you know, your gear, and then obviously fighting and landing your fish. Sure, that five-foot rod, yeah, that, that would probably be the best rod in terms of leverage. But, you know, the way these fish get squirrely and they move and little boats don't have that same drift as big boats, you know, um, we just have to learn to start being open and using different gear. And you've nailed every single aspect of it. You know, understanding that the, that that fish, when you get a tiny bit of angle on the line, if you had a five-and-a-half-foot rod and you're hooked up on this 200-pound-plus fish, and, it, and you're in a small boat, one, that fish is pulling your boat around. If it's 26 feet, I don't care what it is, it's moving that boat. If you've got 30 to 40 pounds of drag, if you're down on the spool, you've got a higher drag ratio than you do when you're, in your uh, spool is full on your reel if you're using a 30 or 50. Um, and all of that comes into play, and trying to figure out how to get that doggone fish to cooperate isn't part of your deal. You've got to figure out how to get around and maneuver so you can actually catch that fish and get him on the boat. And it's, it's been actually fun to hear the stories of these guys that are going out and, and learning the learning curve. The fact that you're making your own rods and you understand what you're doing is brilliant. I love that. You know, I'm trying to tell these guys, get a smitty belt where you've got the new ones have a handle on the back. guy in the small boat can hold on to the angler, move him around, help sustain him while he's, He's trying to get around that motor or going up and down the rail, and sometimes you can't go all the way to the bow. You've got to turn the boat. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this, and, and I think what you're doing to help the public in knowledge-wise, Billy, is brilliant. Yeah, so there, there's also another aspect of what I'm doing, and this is going to be done probably around mid-December, but I'm coming out with my own website, Billy K Fishing, and I'm offering a membership type of service as well as, as coaching service to be able to help others online how to set up their rigs, boat, rod, gear, as well as tons of tutorial videos on what it is that I'm doing from preparation to fighting the fish to setting up the kite. You know, every detailed information put into videos that you can watch from your phone to learn about exactly what it is that I do that has been working so successfully for me. And, and let me make it very clear, what I do is not the only way. It's merely just 
my way and some of the things that I've learned and be able to share with my friends that have worked so well for us. So it really allows someone who's really looking to take their game to the next level to, you know, work with me one-on-one to learn how to set it up and be able to, you know, uh, get a better landing ratio of catching these big ones. Let me ask you a question here, Billy. When we're fishing the fish on the drift and you're fishing the sinker rig, how do you rig that? Um, normally I fish, well, I'm a straight spectra to a three to five foot liter of fluorocarbon. I See, now that, like that, to, that I, doesn't equate to most fishermen, by the way. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I know there's, there's a lot of that mono guys out there, and I'm not saying that's the wrong way. This is merely just my way and what I've found to be so effective, you know. Especially on a smaller boat, you know, you tend to have a little bit more leeway. Uh, but then again, I, I've heard guys do well with this rig, you know, on, on multiple trips, on different boats, on different platforms, and different styles of fishing as well. So it, it's worked really well for me. Um, three to five feet fluorocarbon. Um, the knot I use up to 100 pounds is, uh, gosh, I'm horrible with names. I think it's called the Improved Albright, something really simple, like six wraps up, six wraps down. And I rubber band my weight right near the connection of the fluoro to a spectra. What that allows it to do is that your line doesn't get all twisted up. And I'm sure some listeners right now, they can, they can share that experience of lines getting twisted or, or getting wrapped up. But if you, you kind of place it near the knot, then it kind of reduces that. So are you putting your spectra through the uh, eye of the, of the torpedo sinker on the on the spectra itself, and then and then uh, back through the bottom end, so you can secure it against the uh, spectra, because the spectra is going to cut that rubber band quicker than the. Well, actually, if you're using a hundred pound or hundred thirty pound mono one, or spectra or fluorocarbon, either one, all of them are going to pop that off. But where do you put the weight? Well, actually, the weight I don't tie it onto the spectra in the sense of having the spectra line go through it. It's merely the rubber band that holds it on. Right. So, and the weight in itself isn't sliding up or down. It's, it's staying stationary, you know, so you're not having the spectra rub against the rubber band, which will cause it to break. But uh, I, I've never had that situation. But well, you're that's, the, that's the question. How do you secure that rubber band and your, your line to, to the weight? Now, that's, that, that's a hard thing to explain over the phone. It's more of like, man, I'd love to show you in a short video clip to send, send over to you of how I wrap it, you know. But uh, it's, it's merely like a, like a loop-to-loop wrap on your basic, basic um, loop-to-loop that, that you've learned uh, before. Um, it, it's definitely something that's kind of hard to explain over the phone. All right. Hey, Billy, uh, can uh, you stay with us for a little bit longer while we take a break? Sure. Hey, uh, this is Rod and Real Radio on AM540 or rodandreelradio.com. We've got Billy Kellman with us. He's telling us some of the techniques He's used and he's evolved over the hundreds of hours that he's spent on the water, especially since his tuna bite began. Stay tuned. Stan, Wendy, and I, and if Stan has enough voice left, we'll be back after these messages. I like rafting. I love whitewater. But I never forget that snowmelt in the river can cause cold water shock. I wear a life jacket always. Anyone with me has got to do the same. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Hi, it's Tony Gwynn. Nobody treats you better. Nobody beats El Cajon Ford. Nobody beats El Cajon Ford. 
Hi, it's Tony Gwynn Jr. For years, my dad said it so often. Nobody beats El Cajon Ford, and nobody treats you better. And that's so true. Now I am proud to join the El Cajon Ford team because with them, it's all about family. They treat you right. You're part of our family at El Cajon Ford. Thanks, Tony. We'll see you at Broadway in East Main and ElCajonFord.com. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel specially heat treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. Hey everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fish at Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization, but you just don't know who to contact? Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419, or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419 or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. I got a garage full of fishing tackle, and every time I get out on the water, I realize I forgot something important. But I never forget my life jacket. I make sure my buddies wear theirs, too. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Dan, Wendy, and I, we want to welcome you back to Raw and Real Radio. Our special guest in this hour is uh, Billy Kellerman, a private boater. And we've been talking about going after some of these big bluefin, some of the techniques that Billy has uh, really developed and have evolved over the hundreds of hours that he spent on the water. A lot of these techniques, though, you can also use, too, when you're on the sports fishing boats. And that's some of the things that I like to share with some of our listeners, uh, Billy. And one of them is, you know, there's a lot of fish being caught on fly-lining baits right now. And it, it seemed like when the bite first started, we could take a bait, let it just go on out there, put it on a slow, uh, you know, uh, uh, drift, and hope we can get bit. But right now, I am hearing that, the way the guys are catching fish, they put a bait on, and they only keep it out there for a couple of minutes. And if you're not bit, reel back in, get another fresh one on, and go out again. Have Have you found that to be the case? Okay, so like I mentioned before, I've been fishing this stuff for maybe like a week and a half, you know, uh, at those current grounds. I've seen two different things. You know, for some of the private boaters who, who don't have the ability to anchor, the drifting has, has worked fine. But what I saw was sport boats who were anchored and, and were able to keep that consistent chum line. I mean, I, I saw almost a whole boat bent over, especially Greg on that Aztec, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the bite ha- has changed here and there in the sense of sometimes they'll bite the fly line really quick, and then at times it's a longer soak. Um, right now the, the, there's a little bit of a smaller grade fish that moved in into that specific area of where they're fishing with your occasional bigger one. And uh, they're biting on lighter line, and it's the same thing as, as any type of other fishing, which makes this so exciting. You know, it's just your regular fly line, picking a hot bait, picking a live bait, letting it soak for a bit, two, three minutes, anything longer than that, wind it up, change your bait. Okay. And, pretty and pretty how, simple. 
how are you hooking these uh, baits? Uh, traditionally, uh, you think about hooking it through the nose, uh, especially if you're going to put it on a longer soak. But I'm understanding that uh, right now uh, 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 guys are getting a bit better with a collar hook. Uh, you know, I've always been a fan of either nose hooking or butt hooking. Um, and I'm just going to be very upfront. I just haven't had as much experience with collar hooking. I'm not saying that it doesn't work, but I just haven't had that experience, you know. But for the most part, most of our fish all have been nose hooked and um, none longer soaked than three to four minutes, you know. You know, I'm going to have to <clears throat> uh, let me ask you a question here, Billy. You're on, most of your, your fishing is on the drift because you've got a small boat, correct? Correct. The, the guys that were on a, anything on an anchored boat, you've got a big boat that's anchored. The collar hook gets the, boat, the bait away from the, the, uh, the boat easier, you know, I mean, and the hook's on the top of the fish, and they're not being drugged through the water, so the fish can, the actual bait fish can swim easier with that hook on its back than it does on its belly, or, or like you said, butt hook. I love the butt hook where it goes down uh, into that fish's arena where he's looking up, because those fish don't come up, they, I mean, don't go sideways to eat, they come up to eat. They like to see the bait above them and come up and eat it, and then turn and come back down. That's why you hope you get them in the corner, even on the flyer, uh, yummy flyer. You know, you get that hook on the bottom instead of on the top, it hooks the fish in the corner of his mouth, and that's really where you want to have that done. But that's an important factor on that. If you're if you're in a boat where you're anchored, it's different than it is on, on the drift, and the drift getting it down into the arena above that fish where he can come up and eat it is a different story. That's what you're doing. Correct. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I mentioned, you know, it was just a, a different way of doing things, and uh, for me, I just haven't tried that particular method too much. Now, here's another uh, key thing. Um, you know, I've lost faith in my owner hooks. Mm. Uh, we have now broken so have I. owner hooks. Yeah. I've heard too many so, horror stories on that. No, I'm just, you know, we had the fish at color. It was a three-aught ringed uh, Mewtwo owner hook, and it broke. After like an hour and 20 minutes, hour and 25, you know, we're 15, 20 feet from gas, and, uh, you know, you just feel the line pop, and, you know, you figure it's a line and not failure somewhere. We pull it up, and I have half the hook. Um, this is the second time that this happened to me this year, so uh, I'm absolutely done with them. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry to hear that. Is um, you know. Also, though, I've heard a lot of that these guys are using. You're using a three odd hook, and that seems like an awful small hook for some of these fish that we're talking about. And the hook that you're using, though, is it that small? And does it have the circle feature on it, or are you using something else? No, I'm using strictly circle hooks and all these big fish. And I've even caught. I mean, mind you, I think one of the biggest hook I've used is maybe like a 5 aught. But, you know, I, I have heard of guys using bigger, you know, the bigger hooks allow you to get a big, big, better hook set. Um, if you're not able to make mackerel or if you didn't bring out mackerel, then you're kind of stuck using the smaller hooks because you still need to have that really good bait presentation to be able to get a bit more. I mean, I yeah, will give you I my know. two cents on hooks over the last 30 years of playing around with them that the Gamagatsu... One, they're heavy-duty J-hooks are, work phenomenally well, lighter weight, and they don't break, and they don't bend, and they're nautilus, 
uh, rings nautilus or or just the standard nautilus circle hooks the way that they have their bend sticks in the fish better than anything i've used and they don't break either i think they they uh, hook easier and, and they're a better hook for my experience over the last i don't know how many years of long range fishing but that's my favorite hook for these fish uh, and and lots of they've had lots of breakage on a lot of different hooks and trying to get a small hook that'll stay hooked up into the corner of that fish's mouth without making a big hole. It's really been the the kind of the <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it. That's been the the crescent of the the issue here. How do you get the hook on? I mean, get find the right hook, find the one that doesn't bend, find the one that doesn't break, and still get the fish in. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's just that these fish really put your every single one of your gear to the test, whether it's your knot, whether it's your hook, whether it's your reel, your rod. Um, I mean, these are considered fish of a lifetime, you know, and, and they will put you through the ringer. Um, on the yeah. same note, I've been able to catch some of the bigger bluefin on smaller hooks as well. So, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm still learning. I'm always a student of the sea, you know, always learning, always adapting, and, and just doing the best that, that I can, you know. Now, Billy, I've heard obviously of, you're doing a pretty good job, Billy. <laughs> I've I've heard of a lot of the fishermen too. After fighting these fish for a long time, they they finally get the boat under the uh, under the the fish under the boat. The boat the fish is in sort of like its death spiral. It comes to color, and the hook comes right out of the fish. And I I guess that shows you the imp- more of the importance of what you're doing is you bring that thing in as soon as you're possible because. The longer you uh, play around with that fish, the more uh, you're going to have the possibility that that hook's going to come on out just from the hole being enlarged with playing with the fish. I, I, absolutely. I, I mean, there are so many important subjects that you guys are, are touching base here. I mean, that, that final depth circle, if it's within 20 to 30 feet, from my experience on a private boat, you, you can't rail it anymore. You got to get up. You got to get up. You got to pull. You got to pull back. And I know we're tired. I know it's the final ninth inning stretch, but you got to finish that fish. Now, if you're spending 30, 40 minutes on that circle, I mean, you know, as we all know, I mean, the longer the amount of time you're on a fish, the higher percentage that you may lose that fish. And it proves time and time over again. You are speaking like a true long range skipper. Yeah. <laughs> Billy, uh, uh, I've heard uh, especially, too, when it comes to the fluorocarbon, that some of the f- colored fluorocarbons, like pinker, is getting better, bit better than the clear. It, it, do you have any feeling for that or any reasoning why that may be? I, I don't know. I feel like with fluorocarbon, if you ask 10 guys, you may get six or seven different answers. I think it's, it's an item that... that someone that builds confidence within. And, like, for myself, I only use the, the Seager, uh, Seager Premier fluorocarbon. I mean, religiously. I don't use anything else. Um, I'm not sure about the pink. I mean, I've always heard about that Catalina Island pink Andy being, like, the most popular mono line, you know, back in the day or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, on my boat and, and of my experience of, of all these fish that I've seen, I haven't seen too big of a difference between pink and clear. Um, you know, it, it all could also wind down on the angler who the angler who knows how to choose a better bait. That in itself, you know, could be a huge you know contributing factor as well. So a lot of variables there, 
But at the end of the day, I think it might be a confidence thing. Well, here's the clue. I'll give you. I'll give you one for the for the guy that's listening and doesn't know what he should do. There were years when blue was the, was the key, and and that made a difference. And pink, you know, at Guadalupe or or down below at at Clarion or whatever it is, made a difference. Get a marks lot. Get a pink marks lot and a light blue marks lot. And all you have to do is is run it up your line, maybe a foot or two, and stop, and a foot or two, and stop. That's all you need to do to change the color, the coloration, and the and the difference on your line. And if you think that'll make a difference for you, then good, do it. I don't care if you think that they'll need a MEPS spinner. If you've got the so, confidence, and that's going to change the bite for you, then you ought to do it. And then you can so play around with that a little bit, guys. That's I've got marks lots in the my reasoning? last boat. I got marks. Wendy, you got something to say here? Yeah. So when it comes to line. When you look at clear line and you're looking in the light as a bright, sunny day, you can see that line and it penetrates down into the water. But when you have a tinted line, and one of the reasons why they tint monofilament is because it helps diffuse the light. You don't have that fiber optic going into the water um, going, uh, and that light penetrating deep, deeper down into the water. So Excellent it diffuses point. the light. And then, and then when it comes to the fluorocarbon, the reason why you're using the fluorocarbon is because it's a harder line and it's more abrasion resistant, but it's also stiffer. And so when they rate fluorocarbon, they rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, and the, and the Japanese fluorocarbon seems to be a lot harder than um, some of the other, and especially the newer, limper fluorocarbons. You know, you're going to have to give and take because if you want something that's that you're going to be able to use and cast and spool up on your reel, that's not going to be a strong abrasion-resistant fluorocarbon. So on a scale of 1 to 10 is what you want to look for when it comes to fluorocarbons. You know, I'll give you another one. Wendy and I talked about this last, uh, I don't know, it was last year or year before last. We had guys on our long-range trips that some of these guys were using uh, a knot where it's a, it's a Two around the two around the eye of the hook, and then two loops down, and and you cinch it back up. But the knot on some fluorocarbons will slip because of the difference in the. It's not monofilament anymore. It's a different coating or different way that they build the line. It's a lot more brittle, but some of them slip on your knot. So you need to kind of learn. Maybe go to the the Iser line booth this year at the uh, Fred Hall show and test your knot, even with your own line. If you think you've got a fluorocarbon problem, there are some that work better than others. That's all I can tell you. Uh, you know, uh, getting back uh, to you, uh, Billy, uh, um, if you've got a, your fluorocarbon leader, you brought your fish in, uh, you look at it, the, the hook looks good, there's no chafing in the line or anything like that, do you completely change out that leader again? Do you cut it off to where you feel confident in it? Or, or what do you do with that leader after you've caught a big fish? Uh, wow, I mean, I, I've never thought about it per se. I mean, now that you say that, I remember Danny Gomez telling me to always change it, and I've actually done the opposite. If it looks good and feels good and, and there's no abrasion, I'll just reuse it right away. I'm going right, to so you- the other side of that. Every time you catch a big fish on it, change it because fluorocarbon doesn't have the the resiliency that monofilament monofilament stretches and comes back some better than others, depending on the brand. 
Fluorocarbon doesn't do that. When it stretches, it doesn't come back. It stretches out, and it stretches out at the knot. Down, it tapers down to the knot at the hook. So your your line is has a lesser value as far as you know. Hundred pound goes down to maybe eighty pound or even sixty pound at the hook. That's where they break off of the hook. If you have a second fish, a small fish doesn't matter, but a big fish. If you catch one good one. Especially with four or five, six feet aligned, just rechange your fluorocarbon. That'll change their life, and, and, and it'll land your fish. Well, you know, Billy, I mean, you make we haven't been able to even scratch. Go on. I'm sorry about that. Now, we haven't been able to even scratch the surface on some of the things that I know that uh, you can help us out with. But the redeeming feature is you're going to be in seminar here next week. Tell us about where you're going to be. And what day and what time and uh, all the particulars, because uh, I tell you, after I heard the fishermen coming on back from Fisherman's Landing Tackle that were there for your seminar, they were impressed. So I've got a feeling that uh, you're going to be much in demand. Your next appearance is going to be next week. Uh, Again, uh, fill us in on the details. Yeah, so... uh... Well, uh, great to hear some feedback. <clears throat> this next yeah. appearance will be at Island Tackle this coming up Saturday. Um, I, I, I think Island Fishing Tackle is in Carson, I believe. And uh, the event is from uh, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. And there's also another uh, two other speakers, Jacob Moreno, who is uh, the captain of the Ultra, super knowledgeable guy. I mean, it's going to be great to have him speak as well. And also there's one other third person, I I forgot Merit his McCray. name. My apologies. Um, but, yeah, that Merit will be uh, specifically about bluefin. Yeah, Merritt's going to be there. By the way, you know, Merit, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a director for the CCA, so is Wendy. Uh, we'll probably see you down there, actually, but I'm looking forward to this. Right. And yeah, the, actually, uh, I'll, I'll be flying straight in from Florida, I mean, literally that morning, so hopefully no hiccups. But, um I'm really excited to uh, speak, see everyone, speak to everyone, and be able to share some of my knowledge and be able to help guys catch more fish. Well, Billy, you got a website coming on up, but I know you're also very approachable on Facebook. Uh, if people have comments or they they maybe have a particular question or or maybe uh, they uh, they want to give you a hint on something that's worked for them, how's the best way you can share information? Absolutely. I'm very easy to get a hold of. I mean, I know as of, well, throughout this year, you know, my Facebook messages really blow up after, you know, I post a report or something like that. So if I've, if I've missed some of you, I apologize. I don't do it on purpose. There's just quite a few of them. And hence, that's where my future business will come into play, where I'll be able to reach out to you individually and help you on a different level, more personal level, um, to be able to uh, get you to that next level. Well, you know, we, and we've got to say, you're not a guide or anything else like that. You're just one heck of a great private fisherman that spent a lot of time on the water, figured out what he needs with tackle, figured out what he needs with his boat, uh, you know, how the, the guys in the boat can help you out when you're hooked on up. You, this has all evolved, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you spending some time with us and sharing some of your knowledge with us. And uh, uh, we look forward to having you on again and, and wish you still continued success with this bite of 2017. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you very much as always. I and mean, don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, which is uh, Billy K. You just look up Billy K on YouTube and you'll see my fishing stuff. Um, you know, Billy Kellerman on Facebook. And you'll find me on there. I'm very easy to find. And that upcoming website is called BillyKFishing.com. Wow. Well, look forward to seeing that. Billy, thanks again for being with us. And uh, good luck in the following weeks. weeks and we'll be... Uh, We'll be keeping track of what's happening, Dan, and, and I look forward to the next time we get the chance to have you come aboard with us. Thank you very much for spending some of your holiday with us tonight. You're welcome. Have a great night, everybody. Thank you. Take again. care, Billy. All right. Oh, hey, my, way, way, my voice way. is gone. I'm going to have to bail. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks, Stan. Appreciate your input on that. And we're going to have to bail, too. We've gone way over time. Coming up next, the fish icon himself, Captain James Nelson. Stay tuned. There's still lots more Rod and Reel Radio to go. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. The warm weather is here and our lakes and rivers are brimming. Just remember, if you love California and you love to boat, please wear your life jacket. And make sure everyone with you puts one on, too. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Hey, bass fishermen. Who do you call for your bass boat insurance? Well, if you're not calling me at 1-800-BASS-BOAT for your boat insurance, you're probably paying too much and may not have the coverage that you need. In 1974, I developed the Bass Boat Program it is what all the pros use today. The reason? No depreciation or any partial claim for your hull, your big motor, your trolling motor, or your electronics until your boat's 10 years old. That's right. You only pay $250 to get your boat on the water for any partial claim, and we still pay a stated value replacement cost for your boat if you have a total loss. We're the only people in the industry that does that, and that's why we are the choice of the pros. So if you want the best, forget the rest. Just call 1-800-BASSBOAT. Call 1-800-227-7262 or just spell BASSBOAT. 1-800-BASSBOAT. I know there's too many letters, but the T is free and the call's on me. That's 1-800-BASSBOAT, the choice of the pros for bass boat insurance. For more information, log on to 1-800-BASSBOAT.com. Rod and Reel Radio is now available as a podcast you can subscribe to on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. Get notified as soon as new episodes are available, or go back and listen to our past shows. Browse through all of our archive shows at roddenreelradio.com slash archives, and click the subscribe button to get started listening now. Hey, we want to welcome you back to Rod and Reel Radio. Well, we've talked about inshore fishing, we've talked about offshore fishing, uh, Let's go back and find out what Captain James Nelson has been doing, especially with those calico bass and sand bass and spotted bay bass that we had uh, Dr. Allen talking about earlier. Captain Nelson, how's it going for you, sir? It's going great, John. How are you doing? Hey, we are doing great, boy. We had uh, uh, Dr. Larry Allen on earlier. He spent a lot of time talking about spotted bay bass, sand bass, calicos. I know that's right up your alley, and, and tell us, how has the bite been this past week? Because I, I know you've had a, an opportunity to go out there and 
get after those rascals a little bit. Well, the Bay Bass has been just ridiculously good. It's, uh, you know, show up, put something in the water, and set the hook. Uh, so that's been really good. It doesn't matter, shallow, deep, biting on everything. I know I've been saying that for the last month, but that's really what it's been like. Um, we've been also blessed by having a few other critters. You know, we've been getting a Corvina or two here and there, you know, a couple of leopard sharks here and there. And then this week I had a couple of guys did pretty well uh, getting a couple of vultures. So it's been, you know, the Bay, San Diego Bay is just it's a really fun place to be. Mission Bay is a pretty good alternative. Well, you know, we've heard from uh, customers coming in the shop, and it, it's pretty easy to, you know, verify what they're talking about because they're coming in and, and get loads full of bait. And obviously, if you're uh, if you're not catching fish, you're not losing yours, uh, lures, and it works out transversely too. Uh, but a lot of people are discovering uh, Mission Bay and what a fishery that is because, uh, my gosh, uh, uh not everyone could get into San Diego Bay now, but Mission Bay has great access, and there's great fish in there. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's been getting better as the season progresses. I, I usually like it this time of year. You get a lot less uh, uh, pleasure boat activity. So you get a little bit more access to certain areas that it may be uncomfortable to fish during the summer when you got a bunch of skiers going by you where now you can get in those areas and just have, have a ball. So you got a lot more room to roam in Mission Bay. Well, you know, Dr. Larry Allen, he was uh, pretty uh, uh, optimistic, and he was thinking that we're really on an upsurge with the, um, the fishing we're seeing with, you know, more responsible uh, fishermen uh, using catch and release. Uh, we're in a cycle where there seems to be a lot more food out there. Uh, our You've been guiding long enough. Do you do you feel that we're in an up cycle too, uh, Captain James? For numbers, John, but I must say I'm pretty disappointed with the DFG's regulation. I'm sorry, I still call them DFG. They want to be called DFW, whatever they want to be called. I'm, I'm pretty upset with them still um, about the whole blanket bass uh, size limit that they did. Spotted sand bass are not the same as the barred sand bass, which are not the same as the calico bass. And when they went from... 12 to 14 inches, you know, I gave it the benefit of the doubt to see what happened. What I'm seeing is a lot of areas with stunted small bass, just like you find beaver ponds with stunted trout up in the Sierras. That's the problem we're having now. It's great, John, as far as numbers, but quite frankly, you know, I was kind of hoping with the 14-inch limit we'd see a lot of 13.5-inch fish, and we're not. It's, we're seeing the same 11.5 or smaller you know, I know the tournament guys that can pitch in areas that the average angler is going to get to. They might be able to pull out a few bigger ones. But, again, I, I really do think that that the uh, the bays are, are overgrown with spotted sand bass. And as much as I love catch and release, it would be nice to have a reasonable harvest, a sensible harvest, not 10 bass like we did before at 12 inches. But they, they could have left it at 12 inches and made it 5 bass. I think that would have helped the stunting. Yeah, yes. Wendy. One thing that would help is, is it would would be that if you went to the department, the Fish and Game Commission meeting, which is going to be in San Diego coming up. There's one that's a community meeting, and then there's a Fish and Game Commission meeting, and that's where you can speak up. And since you're a guide, you can tell them what you're seeing out there because they don't know. They don't know what you're seeing. Yeah, Wendy. We uh, tell us about that because there is a meeting coming up. 
right in the beginning of December in Mission Valley at the Handlery Hotel where they'll actually be looking for public input. Right. And that's, well, that's great. And, and, you know, and that would be nice, but, you know, it's always been my experience in the past that, you know, they really didn't listen to the data when it came to a lot of changes that they made. But, you know, you would think that, that they'd have some type of biologist, you know, it's clear as day they're not the same species. They simply are not, you know, so kind of interesting. Right. That, uh, and, but, but if you're silent, nothing's going to happen and we have to be the squeaky wheel. And, and I, you know, because okay. I do agree because a spotted bay bass, a world record spotted bay bass is not that big. It's, what, six pounds? And, and so, you know, they don't get that big. And we've all, you know, we, when they rushed to make this decision, they were supposed to wait for Lyle Belquist's results to his tagging program, and, and the department didn't. They rushed this through. And right. so we need to make no Yeah, and, and overall, I think it was a good decision. I just, like you said, it kind of, you know, that's like that's like putting a 15 inch limit on on bluegill you know it's like i mean come on it makes sense to put it a, a reasonable size limit on a fish that can get to that reasonable size we're talking about a, we're talking about a fish that takes years and even if you know quite frankly as far as pallets go i don't prefer to i never prefer to eat bay bass anyway uh, mostly because of their growth rate you know, now if you're looking, by the time he's 14 inches, that's an old, nasty fish. Who wants to eat that thing, you know? Right. <laughs> but <laughs> not but I'm that. not here to judge who's going to eat what. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> what we're doing is we're not harvesting enough. And, again, it's great for numbers, but, you know, I, I could tell you all day long, John, you know, that we're averaging 20 to 30 fish per person, but, Quite frankly, there's a lot of six to ten inch fish in there. There's, there's no keepers to be had. When it comes to the spotted bay bass, now uh, uh, for sure, Captain James, we've got the holiday coming out. A lot of kids out of school. A lot of parents looking for things to do. One of the great things to do is take them fishing out in San Diego or Mission Bay. You're the guy to do that. If people want to get a hold of you, find out what the schedule is, talk to you about fishing techniques, or Find out more about what your opinion is on the uh, on the uh, take regulations for spotted bay bass and sand bass. <laughs> How's the best way to go about doing this? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and listen to what Wendy was saying because they're barely here on, but uh, she has a great idea, you know. And and I'll I'll join up if you know. And I suggest anybody else wants to go to that meeting. That's a great idea. It's good good to have that that opportunity to speak up. And also, I'll show you how to catch and enjoy those 6 to 11-inch bass because, you know, we lighten up the load. And as everybody knows, you know, a 9-inch bay bass will outfight a 20-inch just about everything else. They are good fighting fish, and we love them. You can check me out on my website or check out the fishicon.com or 619-395-0799. And what's nice about it, Captain Jim, is when you go on out there, you're not yeah, you'll you use uh, you know buy bait or baits that were formerly alive, but you like using a lot of artificials and and for taking the kids out or people that aren't that familiar, uh, hooking on a plastic or something like that is really a fun way to catch a fish to go out and try to fool them instead of feed them. Oh yeah, and absolutely, and and in our bay, you know, pretty much if it crawls, swims, or looks like it did. It's on just about 20 different fish's diet. So you throw something out there that, that wiggles like a little three-inch grub or a 
a swim bait, and you never know what you're going to bring up. You know, we, we've gotten everything from, from a six-inch bass to jack's melt, mackerel, bonita, corvina, you know, uh, even legal-sized halibut on just a three-inch grub. So you never know. I mean, it's, and, it, and it's fun because, uh, like, like I said, we're going with light tackle, you know, because we're prepared just in case we're going to catch a bunch of those smaller bass. But, you know, you, you look into a nice halibut or a corvina on eight-pound test, a trout rod, man, and hold on. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> Captain James Nelson, thanks a lot again. I know it's a holiday for you. Sunday you're normally spending with the family. So we really appreciate the time that you spend with us and uh, talking to us about fishing. Uh, we look forward to speaking to you again in the not-too-distant future. Fun, always fun, John. You know, and if I may, real quickly here, I just want to thank you and uh, the rest of the crew there at Angler's Arsenal for that swap meet you guys tried to you tried to do it every uh small business saturday i know we've had some years we got rained out but this year everything went i mean you ordered the sunshine that was great that was nice of you and it was just beautiful you guys do a great job at that and then you offer discounts inside the store which is just fantastic well thank you jim you know one of the one of the uh, the sellers over there left with over a thousand dollars in sales on just uh you know, Bates said he had laying around in gear, and I think a lot of the guys, I don't know if they were all that successful, but I know there were a lot of uh, buyers that left with big uh, uh, smiles on their faces and a lot of sellers, too. So, Jim, thanks a lot for being a part of that. Oh, absolutely. It's always my challenge to leave there with less than what I came with. So that's a... <laughs> Doesn't always happen. We're, we're junkies. <laughs> hey, well, hey, everybody, that's it for tonight. Wendy, thanks a lot. Uh, great show, great input, and uh, uh, always appreciate when you jump in there and grab the bull by the horns. <laughs> All righty, and I'll see you guys at the uh, Fishing Game Commission or the community meeting. All right. Hey, that's it for tonight, everyone. So on behalf of uh, uh, Jorge in the AM540 studios, uh, also uh, Ben in our San Diego studios here, always in memory of Big Tuna, uh, Big Tuna Bill, Eddie McEwen, and our good friend Paul Leader. You have a good night, and we'll see you next week on the water, I hope. If not before that, hey, what can I tell you? You're missing out on some great fishing. Take care, everyone. Good night for now. We're out. How real gone, man. <laughs> you ain't working anymore. Who could be? There's your hole out in the sun. <laughs>